0: Secular leadership publications seem to have exploded in number over the last 20 years, at least from my perspective, and, you know, I I enjoy some of what is written, and Christian material on leadership has done the same, especially with the rise of the megachurch with multiple campuses in multiple states, sometimes even multiple countries, some churches have seemed to have franchised themselves with buy-in fees, strict legal contracts, with cease and desist clauses. Leaders are more seen as CEOs of conglomerations or creative vision-casting entrepreneurs bucking trends of previous generations. But while fads may come and go, the Word of God is forever. And today, we simply go to the Word to see what God desires for His pastors. That's our main idea today. We look at what Christ requires of His pastors, what Christ requires of His pastors who shepherd, lead the church. Join with me in turning to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are in verses 1 to 4, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Now as you turn there, let me just say, this is applicable to everyone. Church members, you get to learn what to expect from your pastors, and if for whatever reason God moves you from this place, let's say you get a new job or something like that, our passage today helps you know what to look for in a new church, what to look for in new pastors. It also helps us all know how to support and appreciate your pastors. I know that sounds kind of funny, (laughs) maybe a bit self-serving or some might interpret this, but it is true. Knowing God's priorities for your pastors helps us all safeguard those priorities. And together, we can pray that God's priorities remain our priorities. We can even thank God and appreciate when we see these things in pastors. Maybe you're exploring your call to full-time ministry. Maybe you're wondering if you, too, should become a pastor. Well, today you have things laid out for you, things that you are to pray for, things that you can work toward, right? It's applicable to you, too. And then we got, for, uh, and then we got the application for visitors. I hope for you today as you're maybe exploring Christianity, I hope you gain clarity as to what pastors or leaders in churches do for Christ and who they are to be in Christ Because there are a lot, believe it or not, of fake pastors out there who sadly may not care to listen to Christ and His Word. And we, friends, want you to know what the Bible actually says, what God requires of His leaders in the church. Lastly, of course, just as Ron prayed similarly, if you find yourself in any leadership position, a husband, a wife, a boss parent. You will find certainly various truths in this passage that you can apply to your lives as you seek to lead and love and set others an example for Jesus' sake. Let's stand together and read 1 Peter 5, 1-4. Let's stand together as we read God's Word. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder... please be seated. Well, as the Apostle Peter writes to this church in what we now call modern-day Turkey, he writes to a suffering church, and they are probably stressed out, somewhat anxious. Some of their members were being persecuted for their faith, ridiculed, mocked. Some were being beaten. And the Apostle Peter takes time to wrap up his encouragements as we head now towards the end of the letter, breaking into the last chapter, we move towards a conclusion. And to this stressed out, possibly anxious church, he addresses relationships. He addresses first the leaders as they are to lead in their relationship with the church. Again, from our passage, we look at what Christ requires of His pastors, and we have first the pastor's passion, the pastor's purpose, and third, the pastor's pleasure. Of course, we're going to explain those and come back to them again. The pastor's passion, purpose, and pleasure. But before we dive in, you may have noticed there in verse 1, he's writing to the elders among you as a fellow elder. Uh, but, but the passage here, you know, I'm talking about, we're talking to pastors, but the passage actually doesn't use the English word pastor. Just know that instead it uses different words or synonyms for the office of pastor. Pastor is, an, is another English word for shepherd, basically. It's the same exact thing. Shepherd, I looked it up. It's the Old English. comes from an Old English version of shepherd. Pastor is the Latin. But we see that leaders are to shepherd or pastor there in verse 2. And we as shepherds or pastors, we have a chief shepherd, a chief pastor, that is Jesus, And then interchangeable with pastor is the word elder. We saw that there, there in verse 1. And then interchangeable with that, based on the Bible in Acts chapter 20 and 1 Timothy, interchangeable with elder and pastor is overseer. And so Peter calls us to exercise oversight. So according to the Bible, we have pastor, we have elder, we have overseer. Those are the three terms for the one office of the one who exercises oversight in the congregation, a minister of the gospel. With that, let's d- uh, dive in and see what Christ requires of his pastor point. Number one, the pastor's passion. The pastor's passion. What should the pastor's passion or his controlling desire? That's how I'm going to define it, the passion, controlling desire. What should the pastor's passion be? Maybe in reading your own leadership material. You've heard it said that whenever we are thinking about our own goals or, or whatever task at hand, we need to start with the "why. And we've got to start with the why, because if we don't have the why in front of us, we can kind of get lost along the way. That's why today, actually, we're going to start with the why. The why undergirds and informs the what and the how of pastoring, right? The controlling desire undergirds and informs what we are to do and how we are to do it. And you guys know this. If you, if you are a parent, you know the exact same things, right? Why exactly are you parenting? Why exactly should you say the things you do? How exactly should you guide them? And it, in what kind of manner? If you don't have the why, you can kind of get lost along the way. But Peter's logic kind of climaxes at the why. And I want you to look there. Look at verse 1. We have the what the pastor is to do, right? Uh, which ends up there in verse 2. We have there the, the what, the shepherd the church of God. Okay, well, that's the what. And we get the how in the rest of verses 2 and 3. So the manner in which they are to shepherd. And then verse 4, we have the why. This drives what the pastor is to do and how they are to do it. And we're talking about big motivations for our own faithfulness. He says there, Christ Jesus is going to return and he will give us the unfading crown of glory. That, friends, is the pastor's passion, the controlling desire. It is to please and honor Christ the Lord and Savior. Throughout 1 Peter, we have encouragements all along the way about the truths of Christ's return. Now all Christians, every one of us, pastor or not, we look forward to the day when Christ brings eternal salvation once and for all. Certainly we know it now, we have the down payment, we have the Spirit, but we yet await that great day when He brings us final salvation that's what this crown of glory metaphor refers to. In, in those days, an athlete or a victor is crowned with a leafy or flowery crown for having completed the race. But in contrast to a perishable flowery crown or a Brazilian jiu-jitsu medal, Melanie won this medal. It is massive. <clears throat> or, dare I say, even an NFL championship ring, those things perish But the crown that Christ bestows on his people's head never fades. And who is it? Let's be clear. Who is it that gives us this crown? It's not some random person or maybe some stellar athlete. It is God, the Lord, the God-man Christ. He himself, our Lord and Savior, is the one to give us this crown, pastor or not. So the pastor's... Passion, controlling desire is to please. If you just fast forward on that day, you can imagine just as any, uh, let's say, athlete has his coach, of course the athlete desires to do what the coach instructs him to do. Right? And so the Christian looks to his king and rejoices in that day when the king himself affirms us. In the ways in which we have ran the race, Christians certainly, all Christians are look forward to this day. But I do think that the pastor looks forward to this day in a unique way. It's because our chief shepherd will appear, our commander and chief will appear. That is the one who has saved us and drafted us into his service. He will appear the one that we have a desire to honor, the one whom we have given all of our allegiances, the one that deserves all of our allegiances, He will appear. The one who has given us our marching orders, who has equipped us for the mission, who has given us the word to herald to the ends of the earth, and the one who empowers us for the task, our chief will appear with all of His glory on that day and usher us into it. Like when a king returns to his people, the victor, and there is magnificent glorying in the glory of the king. And we as pastors, and you as Christians, all of us together, we pray that we will hear by God's grace, well done, good and faithful servant. But again, for the pastor, I think there's something unique here. There is so much hope in the return of Christ that stirs the pastor's heart. And, and then we think broadly, just think all leaders, parents included. There's so much hope because, for the pastor because burdens will be lifted. And satisfaction in Christ will be known for every Christian, including ourselves. Pastors carry burdens. And I, and I tell you this, uh, not so that you feel sorry for us, I tell you this, so that you would understand a little bit more, right? Just like parents carry burdens for their children. Just think right now, the burdens that you might have for your own children, or even if you're not a parent, the burdens that you might carry for your friends. So good pastors carry burdens for the flock they shepherd. We carry the burdens of how you were doing spiritually how you are loving jesus in this world how it is that you're battling sin and running to the gospel when you get tripped up are you trusting in jesus through difficult circumstances cancer diagnosis difficult times wayward children failing health are you loving others right we we carry these burdens of your family lives We carry burdens of your church life. Are you loving one another? And not only are you loving one another, but then are other people knowing more of Christ's love because of you? And if not, we carry those burdens. Are you growing in the knowledge of God and His Word so that you won't be caught up by false teaching, lured away into various cults? We carry those burdens. We carry the burdens on whether you're standing for the gospel bold in Christ, trusting in Christ. And what is so exciting is that when our chief shepherd appears, those burdens of fighting for the truth, burdens for the church, burdens for all of us will be lifted. As all of us, all of God's people see Christ the Savior face to face and are fully satisfied and fully sanctified. That means no more burdens. Just think about the sins that you know maybe your friends are being caught up in and they're struggling and they, do, they wrestle with this over and over and over and they're clinging to the gospel. They're praying that they not give in to the world or unbelief or doubt. They're praying that they stay close to their spouses in marriage and not cheat on one another. We pray, you guys pray, that your friends would own Jesus Christ and not love the world. All of those burdens are gone when Christ returns because the chief shepherd appears. Turn over to Revelation 7. Revelation chapter 7. Or just listen. 7.17. The day when Christ... We see Christ face to face, for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's exciting for the pastor that stirs up a longing for the return of Jesus, doesn't it? You who are discouraged by your own sin, right? You know what this looks like. Maybe you turn inwards. You know this guilt, maybe an ungodly guilt, that doesn't turn you to Jesus. Maybe you doubt your salvation, even though the promises of God are sure. On that day, can you imagine? Christ will lift your head, so that you see him face to face. And instead of seeing yourself, you see Jesus, you behold him in his love and grace and mercy. No more suffering, no more struggling. Maybe you who struggle and fight against the love of the world, you know it is hounding you, it's right there. And when Christ returns, imagine this, One day, then, you will know a beauty and a pleasure unimaginable. As Psalm 1611 says, that there are pleasures forevermore with God. And then those pesky desires for this temporary world, you drop and leave in an instant in the face of Christ and his inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. 1 Peter chapter 1 says. You who may be discouraged by mockery for the faith. Maybe your family right now is criticizing you for this Jesus guy. On that day, you will know safety, security, and victory in Christ. You may know it now according to the word, but you will know it then experientially. As Romans 8 says that, nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, the risen Lord What a day that will be. I wonder if you long for that day if you are a leader. Do you long for that day for your loved ones? What a day that will be. Uh, Speaking of the pastor, it'll be a day not primarily because our burdens will be gone as in, oh, this is so great now. We don't have any more sheep to take care of because they're stinky. They need to be fed. They give us more tasks to do. No, it's, The burdens are gone because he who alone is able to shoulder all of the burdens will do away with every burden in himself. That is exciting. As on that day, we will know Christ and be satisfied, and he will get the glory. He will get the glory. Not us, pastors. Let's be clear. Not you, leaders. Not you parents. He will get the glory. As Ron read earlier in Ezekiel chapter 34, what's the promise? Though leaders fail, God himself will come and gather the sheep. God himself. And so from start to finish, in the whole Christian life, God, Jesus Christ, gets all the glory. Pastor, is this your controlling desire? That Christ would return? and that we would see Christ and be fully satisfied and all of our people would see Christ and be fully satisfied. You know, if we don't have Christ as our controlling desire, as our passion, seeing Christ, you realize that there is actually no guarantee. Once we lose Christ, imagine that, right? The sovereign one gets moved out of the picture and then all of that weight we bear ourselves all of those burdens you bear yourself. If you have a wayward child, the same thing applies to you. When the sovereign, gracious God of steadfast love is pushed out of the way, you bear the weight yourself. And friends, you will be crushed by that weight, by your desperation, your anxiety, your sadness, your discouragement. There is no guarantee without God working. Pastors get crushed regularly. And even in the little moments of the day, just like everybody, we all know what this is like to kind of take it upon ourselves to somehow guarantee sanctification or walking with Jesus or loving Christ. We somehow take it upon ourselves and we actually think that it's all on us, that we got to make other people somehow do it. Pastors are tempted to do this too. How prayerful are you? If any of us says, yeah, we could actually pray a little bit more to the sovereign God, then you know exactly what this is like, pastor. Parent, you know exactly what this is like when we push the sovereign God out of the way. But praise God right here. I mean, from start to finish, we are so reminded that everything is up to God In 1-3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, not your beauty, not your intelligence, not because of your great marvelous works of effort. It's because of His great mercy He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And in the end, who is it that comes to deliver and bring us into final salvation? It is all on God, all by His grace. When we see Christ, when Christ is our vision, and He, friends, is the one we want to please, then we can receive our job description and faithfully carry it out, trusting that He is the sovereign one, that He is the chief shepherd, and we are just His mere stewards. Again, for the pastor, certainly, you can apply this to yourself, parent, leader, etc., good friend. But mentioning this job description, this brings us to point number two, the pastor's purpose. The pastor's purpose. It is very clear there. You look there in verse two. It kind of moves towards shepherd the flock of God. So, Peter writes, I exhort the elders among you, the pastors among you, as a fellow elder. He too knows exactly what this is like. Certainly, he's an apostle. mentions that in first uh, chapter one. But now he appeals to them as a fellow pastor, a felder, fellow shepherd of sheep as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Talk about weight. Pastors are under-shepherds of Christ Jesus who is perfect and righteous. Not only that, though, but those we shepherd are not part of our flock They're the flock of the almighty God purchased with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. But thank God he has left us a job description very clear, just as Christ did for Peter, calling him to feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep in John 21. So Peter passes on this job description. God gives us this job description. Pastors are called to feed Christ's sheep, Christ's word. And that, friends, right there is the fountainhead of the pastor's ministry. Feed Christ's sheep, Christ's Word. Pray Christ's Word over the sheep. It's the ministry of the Word. The primary way a pastor's shepherd is by feeding God's people with God's Word. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells the disciples, and by extension the church into the ages, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He doesn't say go out and teach what the world finds useful. He says, teach them to observe all that I, Jesus, have commanded you. Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Paul tells church planter Titus, the elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. By the way, you can write those passages down, 2 Timothy 4.2, Titus 1.9. The pastor's ministry is a word-driven shepherding. As the word of God is God's chosen instrument to bring life to dead bones. You have a beautiful vision in Ezekiel chapter 37, where God brings Ezekiel to the valley of the dry bones. And what does he tell Ezekiel there to preach in this vision to the dead bones? They're so dead They have no meat on it, nothing, it's all gone. You think of only death, and God says, why don't you preach a sermon on ten ways to have a good marriage? No, He says, preach the Word. The Spirit goes out along with the Word, and the bones take on flesh. Friends, spiritually that's what's happening when we preach the Word. I mean, don't get me wrong, pastor shepherd in so many different ways. But shepherding starts with feeding Christ's sheep, Christ's word. From his word, we give to you what God himself has spoken. From his word, we tell of God that is and what he has done for you. And we remind you over and over and over again. So in front of you, while you might be tempted to give into, let's say, the world or your own internal desires or whatever, you are reminded of God's great love for you in Jesus Christ. From the Word, we know how to pray for one another. From the Word, we actually learn to live off of the Word, how we can disciple and counsel each other in all of life. And did you know, friends, that without the Word, the church actually would not grow? The church would not be built up unless the Word is preached. In Ephesians 4.11, it says there that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry. Applied to today here, we have the preaching of the word, the fountainhead of the church's ministry, that the church will be built up, that you all would be equipped for works of ministry. And you think of every aspect of our lives, everything you can think of relating to how we are to live our lives in this world, navigating this world. The Bible gives us either direct teaching or we can certainly draw implications from direct teaching on how we can navigate all of life for the sake and for the sake of christ and the glory of christ that's why the word is central to the pastor shepherding whether from the pulpit certainly as the church gather gathers that's what we're supposed to do but then when the church scatters there's also the ministry of the word in private so we got pulpit we got private Please know that while the preaching of the Word is the fountainhead of the church's ministry, God's plan, though, is that the Word would continue to work its way out into every relationship here in this church, right? We got pulpit ministry, then we got the ministry of the Word in private. That's all of us, including the pastor's. So imagine, just like a massive river branches off into hundreds of streams, big and small, so the preach word goes out and branches off throughout the congregation, working its way into the thousands of conversations, hundreds of relationships in this church throughout the week. And as Psalm 1 says, we all like trees planted by those streams of living water we bear fruit in its season to the glory of God. That's what happens when the pastors feed Christ's sheep, Christ's word. The heart of the job description for the pastor is preaching and praying the word. And pastors really just need to stick to this basic job description. So church, pray that the pastors would trust in this basic, basic job description. Trusting in God's very own plan to use his word, to gather his people, to ready his church, to see him face to face. On one hand, we think, oh yeah, of course we understand this, but just to kind of drive it home with two illustrations, can you imagine if, let's say, the parents are in town, and of course the parents are going to take off, and of course we look for guardians to care for our children. Uh, and imagine, right, the pa- you guys as parents you are going to write down all the different instructions on, and even little words of encouragement, hey, don't forget to say dad does X, Y, and Z, or when dad gets home, you guys are going to go hang out. And, and we, we're very clear, right? You guys are really clear. Hey, I want you to do this at these particular times, and I want you to share various little things while we're gone for a couple of weeks. And I, I even want you to, as we did when we went, left to, uh, we went to go visit Dubai, and we even left our parents, you know, a little uh, photo album, that they could turn and look at with our children when they were young so that they can remember like, oh, yeah, it is mom and dad, and then they're going to come home. Can you imagine the guardian being like, nah, we don't need that. Forget the pictures. Forget the words. Forget the schedule. Forget the plan. We're going to do what we want to do. How many of you guys would use those guardians again? Can you imagine imagine a king who decrees by his authority and his might and his grace and mercy and compassion and justice he writes out his little decree on his very nice parchment there is forgiveness for all who repent of their sins and he gives it to the messengers the leaders and he says, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to the ends of the earth. You guys included, all of his people. I want you to go to the ends of the earth. And this is the word that I want you to say and herald to the ends of the earth. Remind them that there is pardon in Christ. And we say, whatever. Instead of this forgiveness stuff, you know what? We're just going to say how, where it is that you can get some good food in this kingdom where everything else we can come up with, uh, how you can live a good life, as if we could do that apart from the king, how you might have a little fun in this kingdom, as if that were possible if we take advantage of the king. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? That's why we can never neglect the the very thing that Christ uses to save his people, to wash his people to ready us to see him, according to Ephesians 5. Christ says he washes the church with the word. And so now his under-shepherds are to hold out Christ to Christians. This is why Peter grounds his exhortation the way he does there in verse 1. Look there. He exhorts them as one who knows that Christ Jesus, he is legit. The truth of Jesus is real. He exhorts them as a witness. I saw him... I was with him in his ministry, at his transfiguration. I was with him at his crucifixion, and I interacted with him as he rose from the dead. And because of that, now I am forgiven of my sin, and I am a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. I saw him go up. He told me he was going to come down. And now you do the same. He knew the good news of the gospel. He knew Jesus Christ. And he knew that the only way Christians are going to be sustained in this life is by going back to see Christ again and again. And every week, when we gather together to hear the word preached, to sing of his great love, to hear the word read, every day when you guys go out and spread and you're encouraging one another in the gospel to remain faithful and to cling to Jesus Christ and know his forgiveness, it's like looking at the picture book and seeing this Jesus again and again, and yes, he's gonna come back. If you're visiting with us, this is why we preach the Bible week in and week out. This is why we preach the gospel week in and week out. In the gospel, according to his word, we see a million ways that God, our maker, continues to love us despite our wandering How awesome is that? We have reminders of God's great love, our Maker's great love for us, even though we rebelled against Him and sinned against Him and earned for ourselves just condemnation, even in eternal hell, the Bible says. God in His great love and mercy reaches out to us. He pursues us like the perfect Father He is, the only perfect Father. And His love went so far that He sent His eternal Son for us where we should have lived a perfect life under his law, he knew we couldn't do it, so he sent Christ to live it for us. Even though we ourselves deserve judgment, death even, because of our treason against the only king, Jesus Christ dies the death we deserve. Three days later, he gets up from the dead. Why did he do all these things? Because of the great love with which he loved us. And now, We herald the message that everyone who repents of their sins turns from their sins, turns from living for their own selves and lives for Jesus, who recognizes Him and His authority and His love and the fact that He is the Savior. Everyone who believes on Christ, the Lord, will be saved. Forgiven of their sin, pardoned, reconciled to God, your Maker, and adopted into His family where we now know Him as Father. Father. We now, Christians, have the promise of glory as future partakers in the glorious celebration of the return of the King, just as Christ has promised. This is the foundation of the pastor's job it is to point the flock of God to God Himself, who has given us His promises. Pastor, do you live by God's promises? Do you hunger? after God's promises yourself. What does that look like? And how is it that we ourselves can lead into these types of promises even with all of the burdens that we carry? I think it is by waking up on the every day that God gives us, when we wake up and our eyes open, it is to run to the cross every day and to remember His grace and mercies and just as nothing will separate you from the love of God. Just as He promises that, so we need to meditate on it every single morning, every single moment. What does Christ require of His pastors? Point number one, the pastor's passion, to see Christ, honor Christ, please Christ. Point number two, the pastor's purpose, shepherd the flock of God. And point number three, the pastor's pleasure, the pastor's pleasure. It is to serve Christ's sheep in a Christ-like manner, it is to serve the sheep in a Christ-like manner. Go ahead and look there at verse number two. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. First note that pastors here are encouraged to serve willingly, serve willingly. Verse 2, not under compulsion or forced to, but willingly as God would have you. Pastors here shouldn't be dragged kicking and screaming into this office, into the pastorate. Instead, pastors ought to be compelled by their desire to please Christ. It should be our pleasure to serve willingly. Think of the chief shepherd here, our example. God the Father did not drag His eternal Son, kicking and screaming, to the mission of the cross. No, being of one mind, the mind of and will of love. Of compassion, so the Son went, being of one mind, one will with the Father. And the Bible says He went joyfully. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. In terms of this willingness, Christians have described it as, or this desire to serve, internal desire, as the internal call to ministry. In some ways, I think this is helpful, this internal call to ministry. I experienced this internal call when I was 23 years old. One weekend, I was changed when I read First Timothy 4.13, which says this, Paul encourages young Timothy to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And in the course of events, I was, this verse was brought up to my mind a number of times from a Friday all the way to a Sunday brought up to me by my mother, said, hey, I read this verse, you should read it. And I was in a hurry, ran, running out of the door, I said, okay, mom, I'll read it later. Friday night comes, and I'm at uh, the young adult group, the college group, and uh, my brother taught on that passage. Saturday, my mom says, hey, Jerry, did you read that verse? No, I didn't. I'm running out. I'll read it later. <laughs> and then Sunday comes, and I think my pastor, my first mentor, the senior pastor of Chinese Baptist Church of Orange County, William Ng, he referenced it. And I thought, whoa, this verse is coming up over and over again. I think I should read it. And I think it was either in service or when I went home, I certainly read it. And I thought, whoa, just as Paul is encouraging Timothy to devote his life to the public reading and teaching of Scripture, so I, maybe God is calling me to do the same. And in reading it that Sunday, I was convinced that ministering the gospel would be the best thing that I could do with my entire life. And that is what I wanted to do. I was willing, I was desirous because I knew how great Christ was and how wonderful his gospel was. And so I experienced the internal call. But just because you feel a certain something doesn't mean you should do it, right? We could be wrong. Just because we want to do something doesn't automatically mean it is a good idea. The Bible doesn't say that just because I might want to go into the ministry, it doesn't mean that God has gifted me for the ministry. I could be, we could be delusional at times. So what did I do? I I sought out wisdom. I sought out wisdom to see if those around me thought I actually had teaching gifts. And I, I went to ask the senior pastor of my church there, William Ng, 30 years my senior, to disciple me. And every Tuesday morning at 7.30 at McDonald's in Placentia, Pastor Ng and I would meet up to talk about life and faith. In the course of time, he gave me opportunities to preach and to teach. Taking a lot of risks, by the way. And he gave me feedback along the way. And he encouraged me in my desires and encouraged me in my gifting. He affirmed me in my desires. And then as I went on to go work at various other churches, so did other pastors. And then I experienced an external call, right? Internal call is what happens on the inside. An external call came when the church called me to be its pastor, its elder. Right, So you might have an external call if you're thinking about the ministry. You might have an, sorry, You might have an internal call, but you need to get it validated, and it is validated or affirmed when a church actually calls you to be one of their pastors, one of its pastors. And so my internal desire was affirmed when I was called to be an elder, to teach, to preach, to shepherd. I wonder if you are willing. Are you desirous to serve as an under-shepherd? to Christ. Please let us know. We as your shepherds would love to talk to you. We would love to give opportunities to test your gifting and steward your gifts for the sake of Jesus Christ. We'd love to walk with you through the process. This includes those who might want to go uh, cross-culturally to minister as missionaries. And by the way, for some of you guys, you guys might think, whoa, I definitely don't want to consider any of that because it, I don't want to necessarily go into the full-time ministry in the pay of the church. Um, just to let you know, you may have actually teaching gifts that are super useful to this church, shepherding gifts, and you don't need to go into the full-time ministry. There are a lot of churches that have lay pastors, lay elders, lay shepherds, lay overseers to help in shepherding the church. And friends, that is incredibly useful, incredibly useful. And I assume that maybe some of us here, we might be wrestling with that. Or maybe you just have a growing desire to shepherd other people and care for other people. And in talking with some of you guys, we as pastors can see this because some people are talking about it. They talk about their friends. They talk about this visitor. They talk about that visitor. They talk about ministering the gospel. They talk about evangelism. They talk about, hey, Jer. Hey, Mako, how do I do this? Or how do I do this? Or what does the Bible say? What does that mean? How does that apply to us? Some people think like that, and we automatically are thinking, does this person have shepherding gifts? How do we train those who have these types of shepherding gifts? Who are they? Just as an encouragement, by the way, if you guys have in mind of people who are like that? Please tell us. Because then we can actually get our hands on them and test their gifting and encourage them in the ways in which they ought to be encouraged. That's the way it works. But for you, if you're thinking about this, if you have desire to shepherd, you know, Paul says that this is actually a good thing. So please let us know. Lay pastors are an incredible help to full-time pastors as we then would get to serve alongside together as a team. This brings us to the second way pastors serve Christ with pleasure. They serve willingly, number one. And secondly, they are to serve eagerly, wanting others to gain in Christ, to gain in Christ, right? Ministry, what happens in ministry is we get to be on the front lines to see how you guys are pursuing Jesus Seeking to be found in Him, you're gaining Christ, let's say. That's the language that Paul uses. And it is such an encouragement to be on those front lines, to see how the Word of God in Christ Jesus by His Spirit is working in all of your lives, helping you throw off sin and run more towards Him. We get to see you gain Christ more and more. Not because we, or that would be evidence that we are such great pastors, No, it's because Christ in His sovereign power is working according to His grace. Contrast that with false teachers at the time. They didn't care about the glories of Jesus and Christians gaining Christ. They only cared about their own selfish gain, to line their pockets using the sheep's money to do so. Similar to the wicked shepherds of Israel that Pastor Ron read about. Peter says, don't be like that who do this for shameful gain, for selfish motivation. They don't have Christ as their vision, and they're not ministering to people wanting them to gain Christ. Instead, they gain for themselves. Peter says, no, be eager. Be eager. Be Christ-like. Of course, when it comes to pay, this doesn't mean that receiving pay from the church is wrong. In fact, the opposite is true. The Apostle Paul says that those who teach and preach are worthy of double honor, 1 Timothy 5.17, double honor is a financial term. Paul makes clear that a worker is worthy of his wages. Don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. So seeing the church gain Christ is a huge part of what makes serving as a pastor a huge pleasure. Because at the end of the day, the pastor should aim for their congregation to see Jesus more Clearly. This brings us to the last facet Peter brings up. Third, it's a pleasure to serve as Christ-like examples to the flock. Examples. Now again, this applies to all of us, especially the pastor. Pastors are not to be, Peter says there, not to be domineering or lording over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Just as Jesus left an example for us to follow in his footsteps what it looks like for him to entrust himself to God in the midst of suffering in 221, So we as pastors are called to leave the church an example. As we walk in the footsteps of Christ to the degree that we do so, then we are an example to the flock. We walk in His truth. We walk in His purity. We walk in His love. We walk in His faithfulness. And Christ certainly was not domineering over the flock with excessive commands, for example, the legalism that the Pharisees were were certainly propagating nor did He exercise any sort of physical tyranny to make people obey His commands. And today there are certain ways that pastors can lord over the flock, parents as well, to lord, let's say, over their children. Some churches and pastors, unfortunately, add rules, right? They might add rules to God's Word, even maybe in effort to keep people from being tempted or to keep them from sinning. And so they end up defining Christ-likeness in ways that God himself does not care to define Christ-likeness. In some ways, that is a form of tyranny, as some Christians have said in the past. Now, in their situation here, in their situation, perhaps pastors might have been tempted to domineer over their flock in order to promote godliness, right? Maybe people were fearing man. Maybe were people, people were being tempted towards their old sins that supposedly they were to give up according to Christ, Right? We know this, right? And parents know this too, right? If you see your, your child going wayward, how you know the urge there is to clamp down and lord as if that could actually control your child. It might control something on the outside, but usually in their heart, it just rages all the more towards sin and strife. Well, I think the same thing happens with a pastor. Perhaps pastors were tempted to berate the flock for the struggles that they had. Maybe they were tempted to give up, and so they were berated. Some of us come from cultures where berating is a love language. Not good, not good. Perhaps they were tempted to take revenge against those who attacked them, and so maybe their instinct was to scold them. Well, if that's the case, Peter here calls pastors to set an example in all things. Loving like Christ. Modeling what it looks like to walk in faithfulness. Paul says the same to a young pastor. Timothy, set an example for others in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity. 1 Timothy 4.12. And in contrast to any sort of berating from the pulpit, Paul says, preach the word, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Pastor, are you known for correcting, rebuking, encouraging with great patience and careful instruction? Church, I pray that you would pray that your pastors would be known for this. We're certainly not perfect, nor will we ever be on this side of heaven, but pray that we are marked by that more and more and more. And for all of you who might be in leadership positions, are you known for correcting, rebuking, and encouraging teaching with great patience and careful instruction? Would your children say that you are patient? Or would they say maybe you resemble, God forbid, the wicked pastor? that Ron read for us earlier. Let me be clear. We all need to grow in this, right? We all need to be setting an example for those we lead. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 2, the example there is, set, is encouraged for everybody to walk in, not just the pastor. And I find so much encouragement here when I think of the fact that this is Peter talking to us. And with this, we move to a conclusion. You know, if I was Peter, after I had abandoned Christ the King, I was too afraid to be associated with Him. I would perhaps be afraid of Jesus, right? Too shame to stand in front of Him. And if Jesus was just a regular sinful person, I might wonder if and when he was gonna, He's going to light me up verbally and take me to task, tell me all the ways I may have failed or screwed up. Or maybe just giving me the cold shoulder and pretend that I just were dead. Of course, Jesus doesn't do any of that. With Peter, knowing he had sinned, right? We, we know this too. We assume he's downcast. Maybe looking at his own failures and condemning himself, being kind of myopic. What does Christ do? He does what he always does. He draws near to Peter draws near to the rest of the disciples and gives him, as Pastor Rocky taught on us earlier, a repeat lesson again. And he reminds Peter and the rest of the disciples that he is the sovereign one and he brings in a miraculous catch of fish. And then he sits them all down for yet another meal and he provides for them some bread and some fish in John 21. And then Peter here in our letter, after having walked and gone in the valleys and gone up on the heights by God's grace, He has a simple, tender-hearted conversation, it seems, with us. That echoes the simple, tender-hearted conversation with Jesus when Christ reinstates him to the ministry. What an example. Jesus could have said so much, said so many things, but he wanted Peter to think about all the different reasons for why Peter loved him and why Jesus is worthy of loving. Having witnessed Jesus' example of Christ's gentleness, of his forgiving grace, here is Peter to us, pastors, who are sinful still, leaders who are sinful still, reminding us all that Christ, of what Christ has done for us, that we too might be reminded of Christ and all the different reasons why we love Him, should love Him, can love Him more faithfully, more fully. Church, pray that we, your pastors, more and more, it would be our pleasure to serve willingly, eagerly, as we walk in the footsteps of Christ for you. May we set an example to the flock entrusted to us, in our love of Christ and in our life in Christ. Church, are you guys praying for your pastors? When was the last time you prayed for your pastors? Not just so that you might benefit or a certain program might return, you know, which could be great things. When was the last time you prayed that we would love Christ all the more? That we would put off sin and walk in the holiness of God. That we would hand over all of the burdens to Christ, our true shepherd. That we would never deviate from the word of God. Pray for us, please. It is the glory of Christ, our Savior, and seeing our chief shepherd face to face on that day. Hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's seeing Christ that will see us through to the end. May exalting Christ in his glories be our, pastor, controlling passion and desire. What is God's purpose for the pastor? To shepherd his people that he has given in our charge. And we pray that it would be the pastor's pleasure, our pleasure to serve Christ's sheep in a Christlike manner. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we do thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all confess the fact that we lead in ways at times that do not resemble our Lord and Savior. Whether we are taking on the burdens, on our own, as if you were not sovereign, as if you were not powerful, as if your grace is not good enough, as if your spirit is not powerful enough, as if your word does not work. And we confess how easy it is to be self-reliant. Lord, we pray that you would wake us up and that we would see just how dependent we really are Lord, for other leaders here, as we lead others spiritually and care for them and desire to set an example for them, Lord, all of us share similar sins and difficulties and challenges. We pray, Lord, that you would rebuke us for our lack of faith and you would encourage our eyes of faith all the more by looking to Jesus over and over and over again. We know, Lord, that it is because of you that we have been born again to a living hope. We know, Lord, that you are returning with all of your glory to usher us into the same. And we know, God, we thank you that you have left us your word and your example that we might walk in your footsteps help us all stick to the faith stick faithfully to your word and cling to it so dearly in your name we pray amen